Hey everyone, uh, happy to bring you a Lie with the Leader podcast. Today I have a very, very special guest uh, and a very special friend, Mr. Jeff Miller. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Willie, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, so listen, there's been a lot of uh, shakeup here in, in the uh, mortgage real estate industry here in the Capital District and uh, a lot of buzz and rumors going around out there. Was, and and the, question, the big question is, what happened to Jeff Miller? So I said, <laughs> you know what, why don't I just bring on Jeff and uh, have a conversation with Jeff uh, on this podcast. Uh, just some quick background. Jeff and I have known each other for many, many years, over 20 years, I would say, Jeff, yeah. uh, for sure. And uh, I remember we were working with a lender at the time and uh, you had come into our office uh, and just kind of cold called us, really just knocked on the door, came in and and wanted to introduce yourself, drop some cards off like a lot of lenders do. We, we get that all the time. Uh, but one thing that you said to me, Jeff, you say, listen, I, I respect that you're working with someone else. Uh, you know, I appreciate loyalty as well, but if there's something that that person can't do, if there's something that maybe I can do, love to get a shot at it. And, um, you know, I kind of put it, I don't want to say put you on the back burner, but I'm like, yeah, we already worked with someone, but I'll let you know. And, uh, and then ironically, like two weeks later, um, we had a little falling out with the lender that we were working with for some reason. Um, and you happen to knock on the door again and drop off some stuff. And I said, Jeff, Hey, why don't you see if you could do something for us here? Uh, and the rest is history. You've done a great job. Uh, the service was uh, tremendous. Uh, we became uh, really good friends. Uh, we had a radio show that we had as well that yeah, we did yeah. on WGY. Remember that? A10 WGY. I loved it. Um, and uh, I remember thinking about uh, that yesterday when I knew I was coming on to talk to you today. Uh, I remember the first time you went on, you were looking for paper bags and you're like, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting really nervous about doing this uh doing this radio interview uh, live radio is nerve wracking yeah. it was yeah. live radio and you were all freaked out and um and then we get on the air and you were cool as a cucumber actually did way better than i even did so uh Once you that were, light came on and said go i was ready to go so yeah, yeah. you're a natural and then i you know so uh it was all great stuff but a lot of great memories and uh, i thought it'd be great to just bring on to this podcast today jeff just to talk a little about um you know a little bit of what's going on in your world right now uh, and just kind of share with everyone what's, what the future outlooks uh, for you as well. So uh, with that yeah. being said, what happened to Jeff Miller? Yeah, there have been a, a lot of changes, you know, and uh, I was in corporate America for 29 years. So Willie, we go back a long ways. And for me, it was 29 years being in the mortgage business. Um, I was in the business development department at our credit union at the end, and it was 29 years in corporate America. But I, I made the decision. So when you say what happened to Jeff Miller, uh, two weeks ago, I decided to leave corporate America. Uh, two o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep and I just made the decision and sent an email to myself uh, with a resignation letter to forward to my my uh, my employer the next day. And uh, yeah, so after 29 years, I decided to exit the corporate world and become a full-time entrepreneur. I have a couple side businesses that have become my full-time business now, uh, and I'm definitely excited to to share those. Now, Jeff, we all know that you don't just get up two in the morning and just decide to leave your job, right? That, that you've been at for so long. There's got to be some type of a thought process behind it, right? Uh, and and really to really think something like that out. It, it was something that probably took you months, if not years, uh, to decide that you were going to make that decision. Uh, what was it. your thought process, though, behind it? You know, leading up to making that final decision, what was your thought process on that? Yeah, de definitely. And anyone listening to this, I, you know, I'm a big advocate of uh, following your passion and following really what you want to do in life. Um, but you have to make sure there's a plan there. And I have a family, I have a wife and I have kids. They, they, they want to eat, they want to go on vacation. So you can't just quit your job with nothing else going. 
So yeah, for me, this was a 10 year long process. I started buying rental properties really about 15, 16 years ago. But for the last 10 years, I've been working on this plan to exit myself from corporate America and just have a little bit more control of my life. Uh, and then this past year was a challenging year in, in banking and in real yeah. estate and in mortgages. And that just accelerated my process. So when you say what the thought process was, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn 50 years old this year. Tough to say out loud. I'm, I'm 49 now. I'm going to turn 50 pretty soon. And for the last 10 years, every year, my side hustle started to become a bigger thing with real estate and, and my properties. And I just got to a point where I want to control my own life. I want to control my own destiny. Um, Corporate America treated me unbelievable. My company I worked for was incredible. A great decade that I had there was incredible. But it was just time for me to, to control my own life. And I encourage anybody listening to this, follow your passion, get a side hustle going. And then as soon as that side hustle starts to make some money, well, then maybe it's an opportunity for you to leave and do it as a full-time job. And uh, so, yeah, Willie, it was a 10-year process that came to a, a, a kind of a big conclusion a couple weeks ago. Uh, I know you've done very well and you and I have kept tabs on it over the last 10 years of what you have been doing. Uh, and it's something that uh, the one thing we do, Jeff, is that um, you're not one of those reckless big risk takers, right? Um, you usually go into things with, with a planned uh, attack and um, you, you go into it so that it makes business sense. Uh, so I, I know it's definitely something that you didn't just wing and uh, just do. And you built a pretty nice portfolio here. So moving forward now, now that you officially retired out of the corporate world and now that you're moving into uh, more of a, a 1099 income, right? A, self a true yeah. self-employed entrepreneur. Uh, and, and there's a difference there too, Jeff. And that was one of the things that um, uh, Trish and I actually talked about uh, not too long ago is that sometimes uh, in corporate America, you have what they called an entrepreneur, right? That's someone that's out there that's a risk taker and, you know, kind of, uh, eats what they kill type of a mentality. Uh, but then you have that, what they call intrapreneur, someone that uh, really doesn't want to take that risk, doesn't want to, you know, uh, get rid of that W-2 payroll. And they, but they act like an entrepreneur, right? They, and and they, they know what it takes to grow a business and they understand profit and loss and all that stuff. And I think that for a while there, uh, when you're in corporate America, especially with someone like yourself, Jeff, you know, you have your, your 1099 business with the rental properties, but then you're also working with the employee mindset. That's got to be a pretty big transition for you to uh, to be able to handle both of those, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. You know, that's the the, the mindset is such an important part of this because you're right. I've been an employee for 29 years. You know, and and I think it, it was a very gradual thing for me. So I I know I still have that employee mindset, um, but also because my side hustle I've been doing for really a decade now. I think that mindset was slowly shifting over the last couple of years to that pure entrepreneurial mm -hmm. mindset where I had struggles this past year being the employee. So I, I think you're absolutely right. But that that was really the decision that I or the, or the thought process I already went on to become that entrepreneurial mindset. So hopefully I've shifted into the, that full sense now. That's what I'm that's the plan anyway. All right. So let's talk about the plan moving forward right now. Here we are going into 2024. And I know there's a lot of speculation on interest rates and the lending side of things, uh, real estate inventory is being tough. So um, someone may, you know, some may say that it's a tough time to get into what you do uh, yeah. and, and to get into that world of, you know, flipping and uh, wholesaling and all the other things that you do. Uh, what's the plan here for you moving forward, Jeff? Yeah, you're, you're right, Willie. This is probably the most challenging time for, for people like me that are going into this full-time to be 
a real estate investor and, and a house flipper. You know, interest rates are are high. Obviously, inventory is low. Prices are still very high, and that's all counterproductive to a real estate investor. So my my plan here, and again, I'm a big believer in following your passion. So I'm burning the boats and I'm going full into this. And the plan is to get marketing going as a as a real business, get some referrals going with uh, local real estate agents as well, and just really expand my network. You know, the the thing that I encourage anybody that's self employed to do is develop that good network. So I have a full database of junk removal companies and code people and real estate agents that have referred me business over the years. So my plan is to just exploit that uh, network as much as possible and grow it as much as possible as well. And I think from a business standpoint, and, and Willie, I'm sure you agree with your business or agents that you see, but there's also just sticking to the basics, right? I think a lot of times when people have a business or, or a network or, or any advertising, sometimes they, they overthink it and start doing a lot of complicated things. The thing I've been very good at my whole career is keeping my network very close to me, having people that I work with like me and want to do business with me. Um, and that's really what I'm going to focus on, that small group, try to shake as many hands as possible and keep my network as tight as possible. No, that's great. I think the network is huge. And, um, you know, the one thing too, you, you mentioned about confusion. There's a lot of confusion and in uh, this type of a business, because a lot of, especially people first coming out of the gate, like, should I buy multiple, you know, multiple units, or should I do single family homes? Or, you know, do I get into commercial or, you know, the hot button was uh, Airbnbs uh, there for a while, right? Um, But specifically, Jeff, what what type of homes are you looking for? Like, what's your, uh, what would you say moving forward would be your sweet spot? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And I think when you're a real estate investor, it really comes down to every lead is a good lead. So my job is just to generate as many leads as I can and then determine from there what the best exit strategy is for that property. Um, but ideally for flips, single family homes are still always going to be the best for for flips. And I think that moderate price, right? Like a lot of times I'll get a referral and it'll be a, a single family home, say in Saratoga, and it's 400 grand. Well, that, that's a tough property to flip just because of the price point, right? I mean, it's by the time you're done, you're going to be in a, in a much higher dollar amount. So that first time home buyer, you know, for our end price to be somewhere around $200,000, that's really the, the sweet spot for flips. As far as rentals go, um, you know, my, my strategy has always been for any new investor, start with single family homes. It's the easiest way to get started is to buy single family homes and turn those into rentals, then go to two family, go to three units. And now that I've grown my portfolio, you know, I I really ideally try to stick to at least eight units and up on the units that I'm buying. Uh, The the margins on the smaller ones aren't as good as, as the bigger units. So that's kind of what I'm focused on now. So your eight to 10 to 12 unit properties, and then the single families are, are more of the flip strategy. And Airbnb, I do have an Airbnb, Willie, and I know that was a hot trend a while. And then now it's faded a little bit, right? Like a lot of people that I know that were had all their rental properties as short-term rentals are now converting them over to long-term rentals. So I I almost am kind of one of those people that when you're talking about investing to kind of go into things maybe when other people are exiting. So I haven't gone hard into Airbnb, but now that everybody's pulling out of it, it might be an opportunity to convert some of these over to Airbnb as the inventories are changing a little bit. Um, so that's something I have my my eye on. So when everybody's you know going one way, maybe it's time to go the other way. Yeah, Airbnb is a little tricky, especially now there's a lot of uh, municipalities and also different like HOA development, stuff like that, that have restrictions on that for obvious reasons, right? They don't want people in and out, but there, I think there's still a lot of opportunity out there for that. Uh, 
Which kind of brings me to my next question, Jeff, is, you know, how do you really find those good deals, right? Whether it be Airbnb or single family home or multi-unit, where do you find those type of deals uh, in, in this environment or this type of market? Yeah, the, the best deals are off-market deals, right? As a real estate investor, that's primarily what I'm what I'm looking for. Properties that have not been sitting on the MLS for six months or eight months and everybody's picked over them. So, you know, I, I get a lot of my off-market deals just from people knowing that I do this. So what's interesting, and it probably works the same for you, right? I mean, you probably get a lot of listings because people just know you've been a, a real estate broker for a long time. So they, they're more likely to refer to you. So I, I got a, I got a lead the other day from the mayor of Stillwater. Uh, I do a lot of business in Stillwater and the mayor called me and said, Hey, my friend's looking to sell her house and she's uh, looking to get out of it very quickly. So the mayor was calling me cause she knows that I'm in this industry and I've built up that, uh, that network. So some of it just comes with, with time. Um, but some ways to find off market deals, uh, I, junk removal companies have always been a, a big source for me. Uh, I know all the, the code guys, as I've mentioned before, and I, I try to, you know, work business deals with them. Like if someone gives me a referral, I'm certainly going to take care of them as well. Uh, give them other referral business or even give them some commission out of the deals when I do it. So it's it's really about the off-market deals and making sure your network knows what you do. I mean, that's the main thing that I'm really starting to focus on now is to make sure everybody in my circle knows that I'm looking to, to buy properties. You know, as we go into... Uh this next quarter, this next two quarters, you know, that, that we, we've seen already interest rates drop almost a, actually a full point uh, over the last 30 days or so. And they're saying that maybe they'll go down a little bit more, maybe not, uh, but it's a different market, right? And when you're looking at flips and you're looking at uh, buying rental properties, how important is interest rate in, the, in those decisions? Yeah. Um, great question. And you know, the, the easy answer is obviously interest rates impact everything, right? As a as an end, if I'm keeping a property uh, as a rental, well, the higher the interest rate, that's the higher the payment. So I have to charge more for rent. So obviously it, it, it impacts it. But what's great about being a real estate investor is when rates are high, well, my mortgage payment's higher. Well, that also drives rent up. So my margin is kind of the same. When rates drop, I was renting properties for a little bit cheaper. So my margin's the same. So it's one of those weird answers, but yes, interest rates matter. Of course, I wish all my mortgages were 2% interest. Of course, that's what I want. Um, but as they they rose, well, my my rents have kept up with that inflation, if you will. That's what's great about being a real estate investor. It's easy to ra raise rents in that uh, when, when everything's kind of going up. So I found my margins are pretty much the same on all my properties, regardless of what the interest rate is. The real advantage is, are when you have a low interest rate on a property, so your payment is low, mm -hmm. and then you keep it for years, and then a tenant moves out, so you're able to raise that rent and increase that profit margin. And I think the other the other important thing to, to really talk about when we talk about risk of being a real estate investor, and this is something I've learned over time, but a lot of times when I'm talking to people and I tell them how many properties I have, sometimes they're like, wow, that's a lot of risk. Well, it, in my head, it's really the exact opposite. It was more risk when I only had one or two properties. Because if that tenant didn't pay me, I was in trouble. I had to take the money out of my pocket. Once you get up to having 10, 15, 20 properties, a certain percentage of the tenants could not pay me. And I still have the other rent money coming in to cover that mortgage payment. So yes, interest rate matters. But when you build your portfolio up and you run it as a business, it's you're able to absorb it a lot more. Yeah. And so it's so important, right? To make sure that you're running the proper numbers and that you're properly... Um, 
doing the right, getting the right information too, whether it be come taxes or even sometimes, uh, Jeff, you know, we've talked about this too, like renovations are, are very important. That could have a key factor in what, whether or not it's a good deal or not, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think that is an important thing too. Just the other ancillary car costs, interest rates are what everybody focuses on, but you know, water bills and homeowners insurance and the cost of repairs, that's kind of the bigger hit you know, to, cause again, the rent's kind of set based off that mortgage payment. It's all the other costs that really start to add up. I tend to focus more on the additional cost than the interest rate cost. So, uh, so we, we, you know, we talk about deals, getting good deals. And, you know, you mentioned before off market property or off market deals, say a junk removal person or a network is going to give you better deals. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of deals that, uh, I mean, we used to see a lot of deals you just come across the MLS I know that that's uh, hasn't been this, that same with the inventory being so low, but you know when you look at off market deals versus MLS deals, is there a difference? And what do you you know what do you recommend an, an investor to do? I mean, are, are there deals to be had on both sides? Yeah, the, without a doubt, you know the off market is kind of what we tend to focus on. And one one tip that I but there's certainly I've bought many houses that are on the MLS. As a matter of fact, I just did not too long ago and used uh, a Miranda real estate agent to to, to put that transaction together. Uh, so there's there's plenty of deals on both sides. And I think the important thing that agents should know is even if the, so if you get a listing and the property needs work, it might be an opportunity to send that to someone like me before you list it. So then to me, it's an off-market deal, but you're still going to get credit for that listing. And I'm able to come in and buy the property for cash um, and then get that transaction done that much faster. Um, and also I think when, on the MLS deals, houses that are on the MLS. I think it's also important that agents are communicating properly to their sellers that potentially an investor is going to be a cash offer, be a faster transaction. So therefore they have to sell it for a little bit cheaper. I think communication is the the key with that. And there have been some times where I've put offers on properties that were on the MLS. And obviously as an investor, I have to come in low uh, to cover my holding costs and everything else. And sometimes the sellers might get, you know, um, you know, upset over, over a low ball offer. And, and as an investor, we never want to insult anybody. We never want to offer a low ball uh, offer, but we have to make the numbers work. We have a set math formula that pretty much all investors use. So I try to rely on that math formula and then make sure that the agents are explaining that to the seller. So it's not that I'm offering a low offer. It's here's the math formula. We're trying to educate the seller to another option to get out of that property, to eliminate them making payments, them having tax bills and and water bills and all those other things. We we tend to look at ourselves as the solution to their problem. Do you ever have anyone throw a, a, a hot pan at you or, you know, any type of sticks or anything like that? No, I, I have. I've had a couple people just flat out, obviously, hang up the phone. I've had that happen a few times. Right, right. Um, but, you know, for the most part, and, and again, Will, you've known me for a long time, it's, you know, the, the, you know, the offers never where they want it for 200 grand. And I say, Hey, your house is, uh, you know, a piece of junk. I'm going to only offer you 50. That's not the approach. The approach is, hey, let me, let me explain to you my model. Let me show you how I do this. Very, very similar to the way an agent would, would do a listing presentation, right. right? It's kind of the same thing. I say, okay, here's my ARV. Here's the after repair value price that I think I can sell your home for. Here's my holding costs. Here's what I think the repair budget's going to be. I have to make a little bit of a profit. Here's my profit dollar amount that I have to make. Here's what's left over for me to offer you. So that's the way I do it. I start with my after repair value and then subtract out all the expenses. And then a lot of times I'll say, hey, that's kind of where I'm going to be. And that's probably where other investors would be as well. We all use the similar formula. Mm -hmm. So, hey, try to get top dollar for it. But if it doesn't work, here's my info. 
And that's what I can do. It can be a cash offer. And I'm all about speed. We can get these deals done in, in a week. You know, my attorney just has to order the title. We get entitled insurance, make sure that there's no other liens and I can close the next day. So I think that, you know, if you, if you structure it correctly, it should eliminate the frying pan uh, being thrown at you. Yeah. And it's just like everything else, right? It, it's like when people say, oh, I don't want any rental properties because I don't want to have bad tenants, right? And it's, you know, 98% of your tenants are going to be great throughout your whole career rental doing rentals, right? Uh, but it's that one or two that, you know, uh, give a bad name and then they, people just, you know, kind of say, forget it. Yeah. And there's huge opportunities that they lose throughout their lifetime, really, on, on being in the rental market. I would think the same thing would hold true with people being upset at what you say. Most people get it and they understand that you're not going to come in and pay them retail. You're going to pay them a wholesale rate. Yeah. Yeah. And if you show them the math, I think it works. And, you know, and there's also just something about never, you know, it's their home. You got to, you can't take that for granted. It's their right. home. A lot of times it's a family heirloom. A lot of times it's a parent's home. So there is some, you know, um, kind of massaging that you have to do with it. And right. I think when you're a compassionate person, I understand what it's like. I had to sell my, well, and actually Willie, you, you helped us. We had to sell my grandparents' house two yeah. years ago. Um, and that house needed work. Right. And we sold it for less than probably, you know, what top dollar was because it needed a lot of work. So I know what that process is like to sell a house that's been in your family for your whole lifetime. Um, so I try to keep that same empathy when I'm on the other side trying to work a deal. But obviously as a real estate investor, I have to make money on it as well or why take the risk? There is a lot of risk in what people like me do. Yeah, and there's a lot of emotions uh, involved with that, especially like you said, if someone's been living there 15, 20, 30, 40 years, right? Raised a whole family. There's a lot of emotions and uh, uh, we see that on the real estate market all the time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it's tough, but it certainly works. And again, it's a speed factor, right? As an investor comes into it, we're able to get it done in a week. It's a cash deal most of the time. So one week they can get their money. All right. So fast forward, right? You you go through, you do all the math, you, you do the offers and, you know, there takes a lot of offers to get a deal together, right? You know that uh, yeah. to be true. And then once you have a deal, uh, now you get it ready to put on there. And let's say it's just a buy and hold type property that you have. What type of decision is made, whether you go into, say, a, a one-year lease with someone or maybe you take them in on a month-to-month -month basis? I know there's a difference there. Uh, and also, you know, whether you get a property manager, you do it on your own. I mean, there's some different factors there uh, when you take on these properties. Maybe we could talk about, um, you know, the, the lease side of things and then we'll go into property management. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think um, the lease has changed. My strategy has changed dramatically on this. So when I first started being a, a property owner or a landlord, I wanted to lock people into the longest lease possible. We we started this doing two-year leases, a 12-month minimum, but we were trying to get 24-month leases. That strategy has completely changed for me. Uh, and I always recommend when everyone's talking about a rental strategy, consult an attorney, consult a property manager, ma manager first. But here's my experience. I now do everything at month by month. So I don't do any one-year leases. Even if the tenant wants it, I say, no, I'm going to do it month by month. And here, here's the reason, right? We're we're in New York now. It's it's harder to evict people now than it was five years ago. So if you're in a one-year lease and they stop paying you, you have to evict them for non-payment. And they also have the opportunity to say, to kind of defend themselves and say that they didn't pay the rent for XYZ reason. And they're in that one-year lease. You're at, you're basically suing them for breach of contract. And that's difficult to do in today's laws. If it's a month-by-month -month lease, Yes, I'm evicting them for not paying the rent, but I can also just not renew the lease and then not have to go down that path of the property condition or rent payments or how I am as a landlord. I'm just not renewing the lease. And that's my right as a landlord. 
So I find the month by month option is easier for me. And then my kind of approach to when we rent properties on a month by month, I simply say to the new tenant, hey, there's no reason to lock into a one year lease. If you love the apartment, you can stay as long as you want. If you don't like the apartment, you get to leave with a 30 day notice as well. I don't want to lock into anything that could be uncomfortable for you. So this is a win win for both of us. And I've, I've never had a problem with that. Um, if people pay the rent, I'm never going to ask them to leave. Uh, and if they don't like it or if they get an opportunity to live somewhere else, I, I want to encourage that as well. So I, uh, for me, it's month by month on everything now. Yeah, I think that's a great approach, Jeff. You really think about it. It's, it's the, the ultimate win-win, right, on both sides. Because yeah. if you have someone who wants to get out of lease and they're not happy, they're going to destroy their property. And, you and know, not pay you. Right? And, 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 not, and not pay you anyway. Right. So might as well give them. But the only negative to that, and I, I always want to try to point out any positive and negative as I can, on a month-by-month -month lease, the negative is every, it happens to me almost every single year. People tend to move out in January because they can move out with any 30 day notice typically. Mm -hmm. So January and December and February are the months that you don't really want tenants to move out. It's, it's harder to rent properties in January because of snow and cold. And then I got to put the power bill in my name and it's the most expensive month. So that's the only negative. You know, if it's a one year lease, you know exactly when that's going to renew or when they're going to move out. So that, that's the only pro and con to it. But overall, the pros have massively outweighed the cons for me. All right, let's talk about property managers. I know uh, for myself, you know, because of the, before, different, yeah. the different things that I'm doing in my own business, uh, it made more sense for me to have a property manager. Uh, mm -hmm. The handle, you know, we have one now. We're we're evicting someone uh, going to court on July 11th. Oh, I have nothing to do with it. You know, I just said like, a couple texts I received here, go ahead and take care of it. Uh, you know, the rents come in, they take care of whatever needs to be taken care of for me. It gives me peace of mind to be able to do the things that, you know, I, I have to do on a day-to-day -day basis, basis in my businesses. But I would think that, um, you know, for most people, um, they maybe get up to 10 or 15 properties before maybe, you know, deciding to do that, not coming right out of the gate. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the pros and cons of uh, rental management. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, probably the first 10 years I was a, a property owner, I did all the management myself. Um and I, I swore by it. I said, geez, why would I pay somebody else to do what I can easily do? I want to be involved. I wanted to do the business. And probably in hindsight of all the business mistakes I've made, that's probably the biggest one. Um, I, I strongly recommend property management. And now everything is with a property manager. I still have some tenants that still pay me directly, but as those units free up, I don't do any new leasing. I hand over every new one to my manager. And the, the reason why, and I think um, you, you'll be able to relate to this, but I was in Walt Disney World probably seven or eight years ago, and I was managing all my properties myself. And we finished that vacation. So I was getting phone calls all the time, and we were you know as busy as could be. And we got finished that vacation, and my wife showed me a bunch of the photos. And in almost every photo, I'm in the background on my phone. And there's a, one picture where I'm kind of like yelling into my phone. So we were doing an eviction, and I was handling it all. And that was kind of a big wake up call to me. It was like, geez, this is supposed to be an investment. I'm not a property manager. I'm a real estate investor. Let me start running this business as a business. And I handed everything over. Um, my evictions have gone down. Uh, my dollar amounts have gone up. The property managers do a much better job screening people than I've ever been able to do. Uh, I'm a person that has a ton of empathy and typically the bigger the problem, the more likely I was to rent to the person. And that's a recipe of a disaster. So uh, my property manager does a much better job than I have. And it's freed me up to start really focusing on kind of growing the business and making sure that things are working properly. And I'm not stressed out from getting a phone call at two o'clock in the morning 
um, you know, because my toilet's clogged or, or something like that. Um, and I'm not the, a handy person at all. So if you manage your own properties, if there's a problem, they're going to call you. Well, I'm not an electrician. I'm not a plumber. I'm not a contractor. I'm not good at any of those things. So yeah, it was it was a tough lesson to 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 kind of learn. But now I'm I'm a hundred percent property management. Um, it's changed my whole business. I think it's a great perspective on it, and I appreciate you explaining that. So yeah. <clears throat> now going into um, you know now that you're doing this full time and you're expanding your network and you're going a little bit deeper with it because you know when you have a a corporate job, I, I used to remember you all the time saying you know. You put so much time into your corporate job that it definitely limited time you were able to spend on your on your side uh, business that you had going on. So now that you're able to go in full force, now I would expect that you'd be networking more and working with a lot more real estate agents. I know that's where a lot of those those good yeah. deals come from, right? Absolutely. And yeah. uh, you and I had talked about earlier about uh, you coming up with an offer that you'd like to present uh, to real estate agents who want to work with you directly, who maybe you know, might have someone that they have, but they don't really know how to approach them. Or maybe, you know, it's more of a personal deal that they have that's going on. And, um, you know, but they don't want to be kicked to the side, right? Or, and not be able to get that listing or be able to have that that person maybe as a potential buyer. Uh, what 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 would be the offer that uh, you said that you were going to be putting together for uh, local real estate agents? Yeah, Willie, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to explain this. So yeah, any real estate agent out there that finds any property, whether it's on the MLS, an off-market deal, or a listing opportunity that you go on. If you think there's an opportunity to rehab that property and then have it worth more, where there would be a profit margin that would make sense to flip, refer it to me. And then obviously, if you refer it to me, you will automatically be my buyer's agent for that transaction. So you're definitely going to get commission from me. Most likely, it's your listing as well. So you just most likely double-ended that deal. Then when I rehab it, when I turn around and relist it a couple months later, well, the offer is I'm going to use that same agent to list the property. I would never take a referral from one agent and then list it with somebody else three months ago. I, I honor and, and love that referral system. So I'm going to relist it with that agent. And then here's the real kicker. The times that I've done this, the agent now sent me the deal. They know it's going to take me three months, four months, five months to rehab that property. So now they have five months to try to find a buyer for that property. They should have a few buyers ready to go. I will relist it with them. And then hopefully they'll have a buyer ready to go for that property and they'll double in that deal as well. So by sending a, a deal to the to an investor like myself, in theory, you could do two double end deals. At the very least, it's three. Maybe you don't have the buyer on the second transaction, but the very least, least it's three transactions, if not double ending both deals. Yeah. And I've seen you do it with a few of our agents. Uh, yeah. And yeah. It's a very smooth process and uh, very fair on what you offer. And yeah. Um, you know, you, you you do good work too. So it's not like, you know, it's one of those things where what's the analogy they would say? It's uh, putting lipstick on a pig, right? It's not, not like you're doing one of those things and then we're out there selling it. Oh, feel oh, that yeah. you, did good, you know, you, you've always backed your work on it, make sure things were done properly. So when that product is going back out on the street, it represents the agent well too. Without a doubt. And I'm a big believer in that. You know, I want to make sure the work that we're doing is quality. Um, I have inspectors that, inspect our properties all throughout the process. I always do a, when, as the seller, I always get the, the houses inspected before I list it. So if there is a list of things that we have to do, I'm doing them way before a buyer's looking at them. Uh, and and every once in a while, you know, when I'm selling, there'll be an issue on uh, on an inspection. I'm always going to fix it because I need to sell that property. Right. So it could be an easy transaction. And like you said, it's been easy to work with me and it's been easy to work with the agent that referred it because they know the house better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. So they're going to know all the answers six months later when it's time to sell that property. So it really 
it's done. I offer that for, for me to kind of make my system work, but it really works the best for, for both sides as well. Awesome. Well, Jeff, this has been very informative. Uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, just wish you great luck and I know you're going to do awesome. Uh, you're already doing great things uh, in the real estate world and I know you're going to be here for a while. Um, and, um, you know, I really appreciate that you took the time to go over your strategy behind what you do, uh, because I think there's a lot of people out there, especially in the real estate community that need to hear this message and need to understand maybe, maybe they'll be investors themselves. And that's something I know you partner with a lot of our agents and, and, and showed them how to do it, uh, including myself, uh, everything that I learned uh, on, on that side of that space. Uh, you've been able to help me with over the years. And I really appreciate the time that you've taken with me. Um, sometimes a little bit more time he's taken because I've been so busy on certain <laughs> things that I was going on where he's like, all right, well, I'll just finish it and meet me at the closing table. You know, we'll get it all done. But um, uh, but with that being said, I think that, you know, if agents were looking to do business with you and wanted to refer you, what would be the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, best way uh, is to call me on my cell phone or shoot me a text. It's 518-588-3025. That's always my best contact. So 518-588-3025, phone call or a text. And again, I'm doing this full-time so I can come out that day and look at the properties. It'll be a cash offer typically right on the spot and we can close in as little as four or five days. That's awesome. So in closing, Jeff, anything you want to say? Did I lose you? No. Go oh, ahead. Okay, got gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So I, I don't know where I, uh, it kind of. Well, I was going to say, in closing, anything you wanted to add or anything you wanted to finish off with? Hey, no. Appreciate all the support over the years from uh, you, Willie, and the entire Miranda Real Estate Group. And again, if anyone has a property that uh, they think would be a good market, a good property for us to flip, please send it my way. All right. Sounds good, Jeff. Thank you so much. And we will see you guys uh, on our next call here the next uh, month on our podcast. But Jeff. Good luck with everything, and I'm sure we'll see you around. Thanks, Willie. I appreciate everything. All right. Take care.